um, for this little section is not just um, to study it, but to apply it, to practice it. Um, And I know I have to remind myself over and over of that as well, that the Bible isn't just a textbook to study, um, that I think if we just view it as a textbook, we're probably getting about 20% of its value out of it. Um, But that this is an opportunity um, to encounter the living God through his living word. And so we're going to look at this section from Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 14 here. And I want to show you um, how it is that this is going to guide our prayer time. But it begins like this, and I'll have the words on the screen. Hebrews 12, 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought this blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. And so looking at this passage, um, I was just struck this last week um, with the call to repentance, the need um, to repent in light of all this. Um, And if you've studied the Gospels much, then you will know that over and over again, Jesus said, repent um, for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is near. Um, And the Hebrew word for repent, um, it's a compound word that we have here. The first half means to feel sorrow, and the second half is to return. And so repentance is to feel sorrow for our sin and to return to our Father. And so as we look at Hebrews chapter 12 here, for how it is that we're called to repent, I think we're going to pause and stop and to consider the three things that are mentioned in this passage. Um, Because really, it begins there. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Be sure that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble. And it's talking about our conflict. It's talking about whether or not um, some of us might have unforgiveness harbored in our hearts. Uh, Maybe we're currently in a conflict with another person at this moment. Um, And if that's you, then in this next few moments, um, as we repent, as we bring these things before God, maybe you just bring that conflict before God. Um, You bring up the fact to him um, that you're struggling with unforgiveness, with bitterness, and just to bring that before God. The second thing that it mentions here is see that no one is sexually immoral. And we know over and over in the Gospels that Jesus is instructing us on sexuality. And so maybe for you, what you're repenting of here is in the area of sex. It's in the area of temptation, in the area of content, maybe a relationship that you're in. And for you, you're bringing that area to God. And then it mentioned Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. We're talking here about everyone's favorite subject, money. And money is one of those things that God cares deeply about. Um, this, this want, this desire, this misuse of Esau here. And the author here is making the comparison with all of these monetary values of greed, of sexual immorality. Money is something we see over and over again instructed through the Bible. And so maybe for you, uh, maybe there's something in the area of money that you are sensing the Holy Spirit uh, bringing you to repent of. And so we're just going to take a few moments here um, to give you time um, to come before God in repentance. 
Um, you can feel free um, to stay in your seats. Maybe you feel the need to move away from the people around you, or maybe you just want a little more room because um, you feel the need to kneel. Whatever posture is going to be most helpful for you in this time. Um, but let's just spend a few minutes bringing these things to God. We bring these things to God, we feel sorrow over them, and we just return to the Father. We turn to Him and allow Him to make in alignment the things in our hearts with His will, with His desire for our life. And so I'll go ahead and begin us, and then we're just going to take a minute here um, to turn to Him in repentance. And so let's go ahead and bow our heads. So, Father God, uh, we invite you during this time come before you with open hands, with soft hearts. We invite you to search us, to know us, to find anything inside of us that is not aligned with you. God, we thank you that when we confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so we bring that before you today. So, Father, we want to worship you today without any areas of sin um, that we're holding on to instead of holding on to you, and without anything getting in the way of us being in your presence. And so we just bring all this to you. We just turn and return to you. And we thank you for forgiveness. God, as we have come before you, I'm in repentance now. Um, Would you just remind each and every one of us of the redeeming work of Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection. Remind us over and over that we don't just celebrate the resurrection on one day, Easter, but now as we continue on in our lives, that we live our entire lives in light of your resurrection, the life that we've been given, the forgiveness we've been given. So God, we confess our need to you. And I pray that you have found our hearts soft and open to hear from you. So God, Do you just remove anything that might be in the way of us hearing from you during this time? As we turn to your word, would your voice just continue to speak loud and clear? So Jesus, um, would you just speak through me? Um, Would what comes out of my mouth and into the ears of everyone here today um, just be from you? Um, Would it be the message that you are speaking loud and clearly, God? Just help us um, to posture ourselves in a way is willing to be changed, willing to to follow you in all the ways that you call us to. So God, we just thank you for this church. We thank you for the ability to gather here today um, to sing and to worship you with joy. 
We thank you that we get to enter your presence together. We thank you that wherever two or more are gathered, that you are here with us. And so, God, um, I just pray that you continue to work and do what only you can do during this time. As we now sit um, and listen and learn, um, we recognize that you are doing so much more than just impart information into us. God, we ask that you would transform us. So, Jesus, um, we give you this time. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for entering into that time. Um, as I mentioned, we are in the book of Hebrews still. We're nearing our end. Um, and we're going to transition here back into that chapter 12. If you had already opened that up, we're going to be up at the very beginning of the verse. And as I mentioned, um, some of this, I believe, is for us to, to study and to lean into. And, and some of it is for us, I think, um, to be guided by uh-huh. To, to be used by God to, to guide us into his presence. Um, but here today, um, we're going to look at the first half of that chapter 12 because I think there's a lot of practical, tangible instruction here for us. Another reminder on the book of Hebrews and the context, um, the audience of the book of Hebrews, were a people who had just committed their lives to Jesus um, and faith had actually disrupted their lives quite a bit. It actually made their lives significantly harder And so the whole book of Hebrews is really a sermon. It's a message given to these people um, telling them, don't leave Jesus. Don't turn away from Jesus. And he goes through and he systematically closes all the escape hatches that they're looking at. Um, He reminds them that they cannot turn to Judaism instead of Jesus, that they cannot pray to angels, that they cannot just go back to the old way of performing sacrifices and keeping their faith as something that they control and that they do. And he's reminding them that, that faith is this unseen belief in God, and it's believing God, and just to keep following Jesus even when it is hard. And so that's why the last chapter that we talked about, seems like forever ago, but it was a week before Easter, chapter 11, was that whole list of men and women who had persevered in faith, men and women who had followed God even when it didn't make sense. And he's saying that in light of all that, in light of what he had just taught on faith, here in chapter 12, here is how we live that out. Here is how we can do the same thing that they did. Here's how we can have that kind of faith of following Jesus, even when it's difficult. And we're going to see in this chapter all this mention of perseverance, endurance, of following Jesus, even when it's hard. And what we're going to see um, is the author here, or the preacher, he's going to use some athletic language. He likes sports and he doesn't care who knows. And so he's going to essentially compare our faith, our following of Jesus, to a race, to a run but not like a fun run, um, a difficult one, a hard one. One that requires perseverance and endurance, where there's going to be some pain and suffering, and you have to kind of continue through that. Continue through the adversity, continue through the pain. Now, when I was in high school, I dislocated my shoulder pretty badly playing football, so badly that I had to have surgery because it tore the labrum. And after the surgery... Um, I had to rehab and obviously do physical therapy. And one of the tricky things with shoulder rehab is that for the first week or maybe two weeks, um, I had to do these exercises. And I was told that I needed to stop my range of motion as soon as it hurt, or I had to stop doing the exercises the minute it hurt because that was about as far as I could safely go without continually damaging what they had just fixed. And then they'd have to fix it again and probably wouldn't be happy about that. And so that was a little bit where I had to stop as soon as it hurt. But then about a week later, or maybe two weeks later, 
the strategy drastically changed in the rehab. After a little while, he told me, okay, now you have to push past the point where it hurts. Now, after the initial healing, um, your rehab and your exercising of that shoulder is going to require that you push past the pain because it's actually from the point that the pain starts where the training, the growth, where the rehab of those muscles and of that shoulder is going to take place. And that's really the picture that we're getting here is that after a little bit, or at least when following Jesus, there comes a point where it's, it might hurt, where we might encounter pain, where we might encounter suffering. And the call here is to not let that be where we stop. And that's what the author of Hebrews is he's mentioning here, um, because many people um, in the original audience, as they were following Jesus, um, they came up to something hard, something difficult, and that actually ended up to be the end of their faith journey. That ended up to be the end of their following of Jesus, that when life got hard, when the pain came, many people saw that as their finish line. They were out. They're done running the race. They're over it. And what he's calling us on here is not to let those times of difficulty, of pain, of hardship be the finish line. Don't let that be what stops you from running this race, from following Jesus. That even when it's hard, what he's going to call us to is a perspective shift to actually see this as like training, as discipline, as something good for us, something that can grow us. And that's what this chapter is going to be all about. And he's going to get us there by a few different ways. Um, the first one he's going to remind us is just to get rid of anything. And he's going to continue to use this race analogy, this run. Then he's going to tell us that the way that you get rid of those things and the way that you run this race is just by focusing on Jesus. And then he's going to give us some practical tips on how to get through the difficult seasons. So that's really where we're going today. That should have given you plenty of time to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Um, we'll start in verse 1. We'll take it slowly, so we'll just start with the first three verses here. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Okay, so he's instructing here, let us run with perseverance. And perseverance, just by nature, is a difficult thing right? Um, that when we look at our struggles, that when we look at the things that are hard, there's the call to keep going. And because of this, um, perseverance is very difficult. And he's reminding us of the previous chapter, of all these stories that he's told of people who did persevere, people who did um, follow through in faith. I mean, he refers to them as, as this cloud of witnesses, right? that they are witnesses to the gospel, that they have testified on God's behalf for us. And it's funny, sometimes I've heard this explained as like, oh, well, yeah, there's like people in heaven like cheering you on. And I really hope that the reward for faith is not that then we have to like watch our lives here. That, just imagine, someone in the Old Testament like suffered through to follow Jesus and now they have to like watch me brush my teeth and read my Bible. Like, how anticlimactic. So I don't think this is about them like watching and cheering us on. Um, this is about them as examples. They have lived these lives of perseverance, of faith, and we are invited to see and to look at what they went through, what God got them through, 
as an encouragement and as an example for us. That they didn't let the pain, they didn't let the hardship, they didn't let the like difficulty of following Jesus when they couldn't see it knock them out of the race. They continued on. They kept their focus on Jesus. And then, as we look at those stories, he reminds us of Jesus as well. To look to him. To look to him and to focus on him. And there's all this instruction about running this race with perseverance. Running this race with perseverance. Um, And I think this is really important, and I think this is a call that all of us have, because here's kind of what I think, and especially as I've been reading the book of Hebrews. And this might rub some of you the wrong way, but honestly, I think this is what I think, that following Jesus, Christianity is not a spectator sport, right? That you're either on the field, participating, following, or not. There's not really the option in between. Like, we have faith, or we don't. And the call, the reminder here, is that you are in the game, so follow. So run this race. Um, we talked about it in chapter 2, um, when the author, the preacher, used like the sailing tide imagery, and he, he mentioned that some were drifting away. And we acknowledge that our world um, oftentimes is pulling us away, right? It often feels like the tide, the wind, everything is pulling us away from Jesus, and that it's not enough just to sit and to float, because naturally, from the world, the flesh, and the devil, we'll, we will drift, we will float away from him. And so there's this call to, to pursue, to be active in faith, to follow Jesus, to run this race, to not just sit and float, because the tide is pulling us out, but to actively pursue him, to participate in it, that we all have this race to run, this race that has been set before us. And he mentions it's not a fun race. I don't know, does anyone like running? Does anyone go on runs regularly? We have one person, two. Good job, you guys. Okay, now, the, okay, three. They're in, starting to admit to it. It's okay. I think that's a good thing. Um, and so some of you guys, you probably like it. You hear about running. That sounds like an exciting, fun thing. Can't wait to go on a run, especially running with the wind, right? You don't want to run today against it. That's going to be kind of tricky. But either way, for those of us in this room, okay, if we're not runners, right away it's going to be difficult, especially if this is going to be a really, really long race. Um, because this race doesn't sound like a sprint. Uh, I've never been the fastest runner, but if it was a sprint, I might be okay, and I might be able to figure it out, but it's definitely not. This is like a long race that requires endurance. But some people have compared this then to a marathon. I don't really think it's a marathon either. Um, And the reason is I have this friend named Trent um, who decided that one day he was just going to run a marathon, and he wasn't going to train for it at all. And he did it and made, like, great time. He was like a former D1 cross-country runner, but he claims that he didn't go on a single run in five years and then just signed up for a marathon and, like, made great time. And so, you know, obviously we hear that, and we go, wow, very impressed by you, Trent, also kind of hate you. But (laughs) the reality is that some people are able to just, like, from their own natural ability, complete this, do this. Some people have what it takes. They can just show up, strap on the shoes, get it done. But the kind of race that the author of Hebrews is talking about here, uh, no one can just show up and do. This is like those 100-mile ultra-marathons that's being talked about, where people like organize their entire lives around these races, right? They organize their sleep, their eating, everything. They have certain people that are designated to come in at certain points of the race to give them things and to make sure that they have what it takes to get to the finish line. 
And that's the kind of race that is talked about here. It's not just something that we can like show up and be okay for. That it's requiring this lifestyle. It's, it requires sacrifice. The people who do those kind of races, who are intense athletes to that level, they make a lot of sacrifices. Their entire lives are organized around this point. And I think our lives are essentially supposed to be similar, right? That there are sacrifices that we have to make, ways that we are called to organize our lives around the running of this race. And that's why I think it says in verse 1 there, um, to throw off everything that hinders. Throw off everything that hinders. Because in this race, like we really have to throw off everything that could hinder us. We have to travel light. We have to be free. We can't have all this stuff weighing us down. And so you can just do a little thought experiment, right? Like, what do runners run, wear when they run races? <laughs> Not much, right? Not, like, snow coats, but, like, running tights a lot of the times. Okay, continue on the thought experiment. Um, who would win in a race, Usain Bolt or Nick Rombo? Just both wearing Usain Bolt or Nick Rombo. Nick, Nick Rombo's are passed back there. Usain Bolt, fastest man in history. Okay, say they're both wearing... Uh, they're both wearing running tights, those like Olympic outfits, right? Who's going to win? Bolt, right? wasn't a trick question. Okay, so Nick is still wearing his running tights. He is sleek, aerodynamic, representing his country. And Usain Bolt is wearing scuba gear. Who do you think wins this race? Probably still Bolt, honestly, yeah. <laughs> but you kind of get the point, right? <laughs> You're in trouble. You better run now. See how fast he really is. <laughs> but you get the point, right? Um, that it kind of matters. You don't want to be weighed down. You don't want to be entangled um, by all these things. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, throw off everything that hinders. Throw off everything that hinders. There might be sacrifices that we have to make to run this race without all these things getting in our way. And the author doesn't actually give us examples here, which I think is interesting. He doesn't tell us um, what these things that entangle or hinder us might be. Um, he's kind of leaving it to our own biblical imaginations, and he's leaving it to the Holy Spirit to bring these things to our mind. But he suggests whatever they might be, throw them off. Get rid of them. And I think... He's going to talk about specific sins, but I think he's talking about a lot of things that are not even necessarily sins, and that's why he says anything that hinders and sins. Um, because there are actually a lot of things in our lives that might not necessarily be wrong, they might not necessarily be sin, but they can actually slow us down, hold us back, they can hinder our following of Jesus. And so I think oftentimes we probably ask the wrong questions as we move through life and as we follow Jesus. Um, because I know, especially for myself, I'm always wondering, well, is this wrong or is this right? Is this sin or is this holy? And that's how I determine a lot of what I do. But I think the call here is to kind of change our perspective and to change the question that we're asking, where we don't just ask, is this wrong or is this right? But is this helping me to run this race? Could this possibly be slowing me down? And when we ask that question, it's going to open up a lot of other things in our lives where sacrifices, where things might have to be pulled back. The pastor and author John Piper said this um, when reflecting on this passage. He says, The fight of faith, the race of the Christian life, is not fought well or run well by asking, what's wrong with this or that? 
but by asking, is it in the way of greater faith, greater love, greater purity, greater courage, and greater humility, greater patience, and greater self-control? Not, is it a sin, but does it help me run? So this is something that we have to consider. As we take a step back, we look at our lives, we look at what we're involved in. Maybe the perspective that we change in order to run this race better, in order to have perseverance, is not just a focus on is it sin or is it not, but is this helping me to follow Jesus? Is this helping me or hindering me? The Apostle Paul, he wrote about this over and over again. And actually it's in um, the book of 1 Corinthians when he says essentially the same thing twice because they really need to hear it. Um, In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, he says this, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. And then later in chapter 10, he says essentially the same exact thing, but then he'll end it with this. He says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. And he's inviting us to this, this shift, this perspective shift, to not just consider what might be sin, what might have like immediate consequence, or what might be horrible for us, but what neutral things are in our lives, maybe even what good things are in our lives that are actually slowing us down, that are actually hindering us as we follow Jesus. And this is a really challenging thing, to get rid of these things from our life, to sacrifice the things that are not necessarily bad. But I think this reminds us to check these things, to consider what things might even be good, might bring me a lot of joy and pleasure, what shows, what video games, um, how often do I go hunting, dare I say, how often do I go shooting? I warned Logan and Zach that I was going to use them as a bad example if they weren't at church today and wonder where they're at looking at you guys, right? They invited me on Thursday. I was like, I can't have to work. And then they're like, oh, well, we might go shooting instead. And I said, all right, well, got my good example here. <laughs> but these things are not necessarily wrong. These things are, there's nothing wrong with them. But if they're mastering us, if they're not helping us to run the race and to follow Jesus, then the instruction from Hebrews 12 is throw those things out. Get rid of them. And so I think we take a step back and we consider what things uh, might be slowing our pursuit of Jesus in any way. And then the author here, he gets into things which are actually sin. He says, the sin which so easily entangles, these things that are tripping us up. And again, he doesn't name or list any specific sins, right? Because he's more concerned with the nature of sin. Sin entangles you. It clings to you. You get all wrapped up. It quite literally drags us away from Jesus. And the first category, those things, those anything that it could be, I think make running or make following Jesus difficult. These sins, it almost makes it sound like it's going to be like impossible to run. You're going to feel like your legs are stuck, they're wrapped up. I feel like I cannot move towards Jesus. He's reminding us that one of the roles, I think by not giving a list here, is that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to bring these things to mind. And I think that's why some of us right now already have something to mind, something that it might be. I think it's why when we enter into a time of repentance like we did earlier, oftentimes something comes into our head because that's the role of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's showing us these things. He's highlighting these things. He's bringing these sins to light to 
help us to take them away. And he's saying, let me have this. Let me take this away so that you can run this race that I've marked out for you. So most of us probably have a thing or two on the front of our mind right now. What sin might be tripping us up, might be entangling us. And once we determine these things, once the Holy Spirit, I believe, has spoken this to us, what that might be, he says in verse 2, so okay, okay, let's move on. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And man, if there's like four words, that, four words that you could just remember today, I would say remember that. Fix your eyes on Jesus, right? And that's often what, especially the book of Hebrews is reminding us, is like the solution to a lot of different problems. All these different things that they were struggling with, he's like, hey, look at Jesus. Hey, remember this is what Jesus did for you. Remember this is who he is. It's reminding constantly. Um, but especially if we lean into the race analogy, he's reminding us, to keep our eyes on the prize, right? Keep your eyes on the road. To run this race focusing on that, that you can't look to your left or to your right or at any of these other things, right? Like there's no multitasking here. And I don't know if you think you're a multitasker. I'm horrible at it. You can ask Lena. Um, but we're definitely a people who think that we can do this. We can multitask a lot. Um, we can have, we have like our phone, our tablet, and TV all on at the same time, like trying to do a bunch of different things. Um, but the more that researchers study this, the more they find that like, nobody is good at multitasking, that we definitely thrive and perform best when we're focused on one thing. And that's what he's reminding us here. Keep your eyes focused, fixed on Jesus. Um, we want to have it all. We want to focus on all these different things at a time. But he's reminding us, focus on Jesus. Focus on the one um, who can actually help you, who can actually help to throw these things off of you that need to be rid of, um, who is actually the one who forgave and redeemed your sins, who's actually the one who can help to remove these things from your life. And he also says, he reminds us that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So, or the pioneer, that he paved the way, that he's actually the one who brought us to himself in the first place. He's the one who through his Holy Spirit um, has brought us to faith. And he's the perfecter. He's the one who will bring it to completion. And this should really take a lot of pressure off of us as well, I think. Um, that the faith that we have in Jesus is not just our sole responsibility to like hang tight on, but Jesus actually has like a vested interest in it. That Jesus cares a lot about your faith in him. He's the perfecter. And we know that you are described in the Bible as his body. Well, Jesus cares for his body. And you're described as his bride. Well, Jesus is committed to loving his bride and getting to that wedding day. And you're also described as his children, right? That he loves you and he cares for you. And that you're actually representing him. That his reputation is carried and expressed by you. So Jesus has a lot of interest and you finishing this race, and he's helping you, and he's walking alongside of you. And we're instructed over and over again to abide in him, to remain in him, to walk in step with the Spirit. And this can look like a lot of different things in our lives, but oftentimes it just looks like considering who he is and what he's done 
considering all the different things in our lives, the activities, the wants, the desires, the way that we handle things, are they of him? Are they in alignment with what he has taught, with what he is calling us to? We're focusing on him. We fix our eyes on him in this race. And then um, he moves on. Um, We'll finish up from verse 4 through verse 13. He says that in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Again, he's reminding us of Jesus. And at first, I almost think like, man, this seems like kind of a guilt trip. Um, But I don't think that he's saying, okay, you haven't suffered that badly. I think instead, this is an encouraging reminder that you've got more in the tank. Um, That you're not dead yet, so to speak. (laughs) And if we we lean into the, uh, the sports analogy... Um, if you've ever played in a game um, where it's gone into overtime or when, like, you're in the ninth inning, you're exhausted, you're tired, you're spent, but as soon as overtime starts, it's like you've got more energy than you did in the second quarter. Like, the game's not over, and so you're excited, you're ready to go. If you ran track and you get close to overtaking someone, all of a sudden you have that motivation and you have just a little extra breath of wind to, to pass that person, to get by them. And that's, I think, what he's saying here, um, is to lean into that basically overtime mentality, to think, okay, it's not over yet. You can keep going. You can kick it into gear. You can do this. You haven't been beaten yet. And then he gets in to some encouragement, and then he says, and don't forget this encouragement. Like, you're, it's not over yet. You're not dead yet. You can continue on in faith. And then he says, um, from verse 5 to verse 13, he says, And you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that that he addresses you, or this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says this, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Apparently bad children, he's saying here. Um, If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of the spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So here he goes into this instruction to be encouraged by God's discipline. When these difficult things come up, be encouraged by God's discipline. I don't know about you, but I have never been encouraged by discipline or ever faced discipline where I thought, like, oh, man, this is like going to be really good for me. You know, like when I was a kid and I knew I was going to get a spanking or my phone was going to get taken away, I never stopped and thought, like, oh, this is going to be so good for me. This is going to be so good for my spiritual formation. I'm going to be so much better for this. Right? I never considered that. And so this is kind of a hard thing to read um, when you first look at it. Um, but one thing um, that I do want to make clear and that I think is a really important distinction we see here is the difference between punishment and discipline. 
that there is a big difference between punishment and discipline. And I think a lot of the times we blend the two together, but I think they really are different. They really are different because punishment is something that you've done in the past. And discipline, discipline is something bettering you in the future. And so if I were to contrast the two, I think punishment is about what you did in the past and discipline is about what God wants for your future. And I think this is an important distinction to make because oftentimes when, when bad things happen in our lives, um, when we're running the race and the pain, the suffering, the hardship comes, a lot of us Christians start to believe, well, this is God punishing me. This is because of something I've done wrong. That's why this is happening. That this is God paying me back. Something I've done in the past. And we view it this way. And I think it's important to remember that this is not what the author of Hebrews is talking about here. Um, You know, punishment is this negative thing, like you have done this, so now you pay this. Something is being taken from you. It's the job for like a judge or, you know, a jury for a crime committed. Uh, Discipline is something for a parent here. Something to be added to you, not taken from you here. And another way to translate this word as discipline is training, which continues to fit with this race analogy that he's talking about. Like, think of an athlete training. Or think of an engineer going to college, right? Like, you have intentionally put yourself through pain in order to be better in the future, right? Is that what you've done? Maybe you didn't know that, but that's what you're in for now. And that pain is bettering you. It's adding something to you that you don't currently have. And so that's what the call here is to do, Um, to consider the pain, the hardship, the difficulty, not as punishment, not as something that we've done, but as something that God is using to add, to train, to grow us, not as something that will break us down, but something that God is using to build us up. And I really want to make a big deal about this um, because I think the idea that we're just getting punished by God for the sins of our past or for whatever we're doing, I think that is one of those things that hinders our running. I think that's one of those things that takes our focus off of Jesus. Instead of fixing our eyes on Jesus, I mean, that's fixing our eyes on ourselves, isn't it? And I think it's a lie that hinders us from running this race. And I think if we fix our eyes on Jesus as we consider this punishment, this discipline idea, then we remember that throughout the Bible, multiple times, it says that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, Upon him, was the, upon him was the punishment that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, everyone, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all of us. Jesus was punished for us. And Romans 5 says that all of God's wrath was placed on Jesus. And so if that's the case, and we don't view these things as punishment, there's no punishment left. Jesus took it all. There's no sacrifice for sins left. Instead, these things are not punishment. They're training. It's discipline. It's discipline. And I think God is really trying to teach us a fresh perspective on our pain, on our suffering, and and on how to view when following Jesus gets difficult. That we need to know that we're not being punished by God. That Jesus took that full punishment. And of course, there are natural consequences to our sin, and there are natural consequences for bad behavior, like show up to work late all the time, might get fired, that one might be your fault. Um, Some things like that do happen. There are natural consequences. 
But here, the discipline that is being talked about is this discipline of training that God is telling us, um, don't just fix your eyes on yourself and what you've done in the past, but focus on Jesus. Focus on what God might be using this for. And that's, I think, the big shift um, that we need to make when we encounter pain, when we encounter hardship, um, when we are struggling to finish this race, when perseverance is hard. I think a lot of the times we want to ask, like, why is this race so hard? Like, what's wrong with me? Why are these things happening? And sometimes it can be helpful to know and to be able to figure that out. But I think, yeah, why me? But I think instead of asking that question why, I think the call that we're asking, that we're called to ask here is not just why is this happening, but what might this be for? What might he be adding to me? How might he be growing me? How might this help me to run this race? And just as we considered all of those other things in our life, what, what might not be helping as we run this race and as things get difficult, can we have that same perspective? What might this be for? How might this be helping me to run this race? How might this be moving me to greater love, greater patience, greater trust, greater faith? So when those things come up, I think instead of asking that question of why, I think we ask the question, well, what is this for? What is God developing and training in me in this time? What could this do in his hands? And this is what I think it means um, to set our mind on Jesus. Um, it's to not allow the pain and the suffering to take us out, to knock us out, to think that this is the time to quit, but to view those times as actually the times in which God is training us. He's helping us to run this race. And because this race is hard, it's difficult. You're going to get to the points of pain. But I think through this perspective, he's telling us, again, we can be strengthened. Like, we don't have to be weak and lame here. And he's reminding us of that opportunity we have to consider Jesus, consider what he can do, fix our eyes on him, not on ourselves, not on our past. And so I think as we run this race, and as life is difficult, as we approach suffering, hardships, sometimes that's a call to just step back and consider, is there anything in my life um, that is not helping me to run this race? Is there anything I need to get rid of? Has the Holy Spirit brought any sins to mind? And I think in all of those cases, we just focus on Jesus. We fix our eyes on him. Even in the pain and suffering, because as we fix our eyes on him, we can consider these things training. What might this be for that he could use to help me to run this race? So let's pray as we turn to God and worship. So Father God, as we continue to follow you, I just thank you for growing us in patience. Thank you for growing in us perseverance. Uh, would you just continue to give us eyes that see your son? Continually remind us that we are forgiven, that all the wrath and punishment that you had was poured out on Jesus. And now the call is to focus on him and to run this race that he has set before us. And so we do that during this time, God. 
Um, we just come before you. We come before your table. I'm just thankful. We come before you thankful for the forgiveness of sins that we have received. That because of this, that you have redeemed everything in this world, everything in our lives. That those things which the enemy has meant for harm and for evil, uh, that you have redeemed and you can make useful and good in our lives. That we can consider these things training, that we can consider this discipline. That it could be used actually to help us and to build us up as we seek to follow you. And so we just come before this table, just thankful. Thankful that what we have prayed in repentance, um, what you have brought to mind as we consider what might be slowing us down or entangling us, that you are the one who strips that away. That your body was broken for that. That your blood was shed for that. And so we just come before you with a posture of praise. So Jesus, just receive this as a sweet sound in your ears. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. So it's during this time that we are going to enter into communion. So I'm going to invite you um, during this first song um, to come forward at some point and to grab the communion and to return to your seats. And then we are going to take this together.
As we come before the table of communion here, as we take this bread, we're called to do this in remembrance of Christ, remembrance of his body broken for us, that all the punishment for our sins has been placed on, on him. All the transgressions, all the iniquities has been placed on him as he was broken for our sins. So as we eat this, do you remember that you are forgiven? Let's eat this together. It was on the same night Jesus broke that bread that he took a glass of wine and he told his disciples that this wine is my blood which represents a new covenant. My blood was poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. So let's drink this together. So, Father God, we come before you with a posture of thanks. Just thank you for the freedom that we have in you. I ask that you would empower us not to use this freedom to, to run into things that entangle us, that hinder us from pursuing you. But would you just continually remind us that because of the freedom we have in you, that we are free to run this race towards you, towards greater love, greater faith, greater service. So Jesus, we just thank you for your sacrifice. We commit to being a people who proclaim your death and your resurrection all the days of our lives. So Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
So as you go, would you go today with the words from Acts chapter 20? But now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So grace and peace, common ground. Thank you for coming. Have a wonderful week.